Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know I have a free on-demand masterclass called Five Steps to Writing a Novel Without Letting Perfectionism or Procrastination Get in the Way. In this free training, I cover things like where perfectionism comes from, how it's directly linked to procrastination, and what you can do right now to start making real progress with your writing. I also talk about the problem with popular plotting methods and how they can do more harm than good, especially if you're brand new to writing. And last but certainly not least, I share some of the most common mistakes I see writers make so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannagilbo.com forward slash training. One more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass. So my takeaway from this is that it's important to speak up about what you want, what you think, and what's important to you. And that's because at the end of the day, you're the one writing the story. So you have the vision and people like me, editors, coaches, publishers, whatever, we're all here to help you execute that vision. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, I thought it would be fun to share some of the key takeaways I learned from coaching writers this year. And there's no real theme to these lessons, except they're all things I've learned from working with writers over the last 12 months. So they're all patterns or things that have come up over and over and over again. And my hope is that you'll be able to reap some of the benefits of these lessons so that you can move forward with your writing in the most efficient way possible. So let's dive right in. The first big thing I noticed this year is that most writers have trouble with the emotional layer of their stories. And what I mean by this is that most writers have trouble both conveying their characters' emotional reactions, and because of that, they have trouble evoking emotions in readers. So if we don't properly convey what our characters are thinking and feeling and why they're thinking and feeling that way, it's going to be very, very hard to make our readers feel anything because they won't understand why things matter. And our number one job as fiction writers is to make our readers feel things, right? A lot of writers are just afraid of revealing too much about their characters' emotions or they don't want to be too obvious with what their character is thinking or feeling. But in most cases, writers take this too far and they put close to nothing on the page in terms of their character's reaction. So, for example, I worked with a writer earlier this year who was so afraid to put their character's emotional reactions on the page that their story just felt completely flat. And this writer was a very smart, very emotionally intelligent person, but you would have never guessed that from their draft. And it was funny because whenever I asked them, well, what's going on in this scene? Or why is your character slamming doors and pounding their fists on the table? Or why are they so upset? This writer would have all these reasons for the character's behavior. So they'd explain all these things about how the character is processing things and why they're feeling the way that they feel, but none of it was on the page. So to me and to an outside reader, all we see is that character slamming doors and pounding fists. We have no idea about all the other really fantastic stuff that was going on inside the writer's mind. So what was a really powerful story in the writer's mind fell completely flat on the reader's side. And it all boiled down to this writer not showing the character's emotional reactions on the page. 
And this is important because novels are the only medium that let readers into our character's head. So if we don't let readers into our character's thoughts and feelings or how they're processing the events of the story, readers are going to feel cheated or they're just not going to have that emotional experience. And to me, this is really what show don't tell means, especially in your first draft, but really in all drafts. It's almost like the advice show don't tell has multiple levels. So level one is showing how your character reacts to stuff and how they process things. So what they're thinking and feeling. And then once you've constructed a working draft, you can move on to level two, which is using those sensory details and actions to relate information to readers. So that's a typical show don't tell advice that you hear about using sensory details to convey information. But going back to what I was saying, readers want to know what a character's thinking They want to know what a moment in time means to them. They want to know what your characters believe, how their perceptions change over time. I mean, it's really all they care about. Nothing in the story is going to matter unless readers know why the events of the story matter to that character. So my challenge to this writer was to literally make themselves uncomfortable with how many of their characters' thoughts and feelings they put on the page. I asked them to just do an experiment and put way more than they ever thought would be necessary on the page. And guess what happened? This writer was blown away by the quality of their own work. And as a reader, I felt the emotional impact of the scene events, which remember I said I didn't feel anything close to an emotional reaction the first time, but the second time when this writer stepped out of their comfort zone and got their character's thoughts and feelings on the page, I felt something. So I felt something and this writer was really blown away by their own work. So that's takeaway number one, that most writers have trouble with the emotional layer of their stories and to not fall into this trap, make sure you're including your character's thoughts and feelings on the page. So make sure you're showing why the events of the scene matter to your character or how they're processing what's happening around them. The second takeaway from this year is that it's not always going to be easier to write your second book than it was to write your first book. And at first I thought this was a one-off thing with one writer who was tackling book number two. But then I ended up working with three writers over the last 12 months who were all writing book two, and all three of them were having similar issues. And this reminds me of that saying, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's a saying that says, new level, new devil, because basically all three of these writers had grown a lot since book one, meaning they have way more tools in their writing toolbox than they did when they were writing their first book, but now they've leveled up. And so there's a whole new set of issues cropping up for them. And some of those issues are craft-related. So, for example, knowing certain things in the first draft are just not working the way they want them to, but most of the issues actually have to do with mindset. So, using that same example, all three of these writers thought book two would have less speed bumps than book one, and in a lot of ways, their second book did. But a first draft is still a first draft, no matter if it's a first, second, third, or fourth book. You still have to go through that exploratory phase or that whole first draft discovering your story phase. So you still need to just write it and figure out what this whole thing is about. So that's part of it. But the other thing that crops up are questions like, what if I can only write one book? Or what if I don't have any more creative juice left in me? And the interesting thing to me, since I worked with all three of these writers on their first books, was that I was able to kind of go back in time and remind them that they each felt the exact same way about book one. So I remember them vividly saying some version of, well, what if I can't write a book? And now they're worried about not being able to write another book. So it's the same kind of fears and self-doubt and things like that. It's just cropping up in a new situation. So my point in sharing all of this is that just because you've written one book, that doesn't mean all the issues are just going to disappear. It really is like a new level and a new devil. 
you've leveled up by writing book one, and now you have a new set of things to work through, and it's completely normal. I always like to compare writing a book to something else like baking a cake or being a professional athlete. So imagine a professional athlete, right? They don't make it to the big leagues and then stop practicing. They don't become professionals and then never strike out or throw a bad pass. It's the same thing for us writers. So if you're in this position or when you're in this position someday, try to think of it like an opportunity to practice your craft and don't expect everything to just be 100% easier because you're on book two. That's just not realistic. Realistically, some things will be easier and some things will be more challenging. It's just how the whole thing works. So that's takeaway number two, that just because you're on book number two doesn't mean you're not going to experience some of the same issues you did with book one. They're probably just going to crop up in a little bit of a different way. The third takeaway from this year is that it's really important to speak up about what you want, what you think, and what's important to you. And this lesson came from one writer I worked with, but it can really apply to all of us. So this writer I worked with, their first book is with a traditional publisher, and now they're working on their second book. This writer submitted a synopsis of that second book to the publisher who gave it the green light and said, okay, great, get it to me by 2022, but I would like you to change this one little thing about the character's backstory. Long story short, the writer said, sure, no problem, and then a few months went by and they were having a really hard time making progress on their draft. So we got on the phone and this writer told me that they were really bothered having to give up that one detail in the story and that it didn't feel the same or it didn't match their vision anymore. So we came up with a solution and a few more months passed and this writer was just facing some of the worst resistance I've ever seen. They were super busy and they had a lot of reasons why they weren't making progress, but having worked with this person before, I knew that something else was going on. So in the end, it all came back to that one little detail that the publisher asked this writer to give up. It meant so much to this writer that they couldn't make progress because the new version of their story felt inauthentic. So I said, okay, what if we reach out to your publisher and your editor and ask them if there was any other way you could incorporate that detail? So maybe try explaining to your editor why it's so important to you and see if there's some kind of win-win solution. So that's exactly what this writer did, and the editor had no problem including that detail in a different way. So for context, the detail was going to be a part of the protagonist's backstory, but the editor recommended removing it because it was too similar to the character's backstory in book one. So the solution we came up with was to include that detail as something that happened in the town on the periphery of the protagonist's life, but not as big of a part of that character's backstory. So it was truly a win-win. And now that writer is making tons of progress on her draft because the story feels like the one she wants to tell again, and it's closer to that original vision. So my takeaway from this is that it's important to speak up about what you want, what you think, and what's important to you. And that's because at the end of the day, you're the one writing the story. So you have the vision and people like me, editors, coaches, publishers, whatever, we're all here to help you execute that vision. Now, of course, there are going to need to be compromises made sometimes. So for example, if this writer had expressed her feelings and the editor said, no, we really don't want that detail in the book, this writer would have a decision to make about, do I keep moving forward with this publisher or not? But it never came down to that because this writer was able to communicate how she felt and what was important to her and why. So it was all about communication. And I think that's something really important to keep in mind. So that's takeaway number three. Takeaway number four is that most writers don't spend enough time developing their antagonists. And there are so many things that could go wrong if you don't flesh out your antagonist. So the middle of your story could fall flat, 
Your protagonist might not grow and change because no one's pressuring them to. Your protagonist won't have agency because there's no reason for them to take action or do anything. You know, the list goes on. And an example that immediately comes to mind is that I worked with a writer earlier this year who's one of the most imaginative people I've ever known. She always has the coolest ideas for stories, but the draft she was working on was really very flat. So there was all this conflict in the draft that got in the protagonist's way, but it was kind of meaningless conflict. So it was just random stuff thrown in the protagonist's way to make achieving that protagonist's goal a lot harder. And this writer really didn't like her story. I remember she even said something to me like, how did I end up with a story that was so far from my original vision? Like, how does that even happen when I know what story I want to tell and then I write something completely different? And as strange as that sounds, it happens more often than you'd think. So we went back to the drawing board and it turns out she didn't really know anything about her antagonist. That's why she struggled so much to get meaningful conflict in her story. And it was that manufactured conflict that actually sent her story down a detour and made it veer away from her original vision. So long story short, we spent a few weeks going back and forth about who her antagonist is, what he wants and why he wants it and what his plan was for getting it. So things like that. And it was so cool because when she started writing the second draft, everything came to her so much more quickly and so much more easily. The conflict was kind of cropping up organically. The quality of her draft started to match what we both knew she was capable of producing. And she felt much better about her story. So I won't belabor this point because really all I want to say is that I highly recommend doing the same amount of work to flesh out your antagonist as you do for your protagonist. So spend a whole day or a whole week or whatever and pretend that they are your protagonist. What do they want? Why do they want that thing? How will they go about getting what they want? And what happens if they don't get it? So really get inside their head and think about the ways your antagonist will compare or contrast your protagonist. Trust me, this will be some of the most important work you do when it comes to crafting a story. So that's takeaway number four, spend as much time on your antagonist as you do your protagonist. Takeaway number five is that it's so, so, so important to get to the end of your draft, even if it's not perfect. I can't tell you how many writers I worked with this year who specifically wanted to work with a coach because they had so much trouble finishing a draft. And these writers, by the end of the year, not only had a finished draft, but they were blown away at how they felt at the end of their drafts too. So all of them in their own way told me some version of, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did this because I now have a way better idea of what story I'm telling and how I can craft a better next draft because I got to the end. So they finished an imperfect draft, and instead of feeling bad about how imperfect it was, which is how they expected to feel, they were actually excited to get to work on the next draft because their vision for their story was so much more clear. And yes, they did have someone to give them feedback on their story along the way, but I guarantee you they would have had similar insights just by finishing their draft and learning more about their characters and their story. So if you're having trouble finishing your draft, I want you to think about this. If you do finish your draft, what's the worst thing that can happen? Or what are you worried about once you type the end? And then once you have your answer to that, I want you to think about if you do finish your draft, what's the best thing that can happen? Or what's possible once you finish? And maybe even write down your answers if you want and then think about the outcome you'd rather work toward. Also, let's say you're worried about finishing your draft because it might be bad or messy or imperfect. So if that's the worst case scenario you came up with, is that really a better outcome than never finishing a draft? 
Because if you ask me where you are right now in this cycle of not finishing any drafts and not sharing your story with the world, I think that's probably worst case scenario, right? So just something to think about. And this is why in my notes to novel course, I encourage everyone to get to the end of their drafts as quickly as possible, because then and only then can you see your story as a whole and make informed decisions that will help you shape that messy draft into something that matches the vision in your head. So that's takeaway number five. And that wraps up the five biggest takeaways I got from coaching writers this year. And my hope is that you can see yourself in some of the examples I shared and maybe realize you're not so alone in some of your struggles. Beyond that, I hope you can reap the benefits of these takeaways and lessons too, so that you can keep moving forward with your draft in the most efficient way possible. And if you want my help mapping out your story and getting to the end of a draft, go mark your calendars for January 18th because that's when doors to my Notes to Novel course will open again. And then after that, go to notestonovel.com to get your name on the waitlist. If you're on the waitlist, you're going to get a chance to join early and get an extra special bonus. So one more time, go to notestonovel.com to put your name on the waitlist and then mark your calendar for January 18th when doors will open. So that's it for today's show. As always, I want to thank you so much for tuning in and showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them over at savannagilbo.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show because there's going to be another brand new episode coming out next week. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review. Your ratings and reviews tell iTunes that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, that helps this show get in front of more fiction writers just like you. So that's it for today's show. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, happy writing.